This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. So that is international football for us done with for another year. Safe to say it's been a strange one. Only eight games played within the space of 74 days. A year that should have included the European Championships Fixtures early in the year against Italy and Denmark, trips to Austria and one to Villa Park to play Romania, none of which happened. In fact, you have to go back to 1994 for the last time we played less than eight games in a calendar year. 1994. That was an annus horribilis on the football front too. Coming up, we'll look back on the most recent international window with Dom Smith From EnglandFootball.org, we'll also pay tribute to Ray Clements, who sadly passed away recently. And we'll check in with the Young Lions. So after making a point of saying that there were no surprises in the last squad, out pulled James Ward-Prowse and Trent Alexander-Arnold, both injured. Joe Gomez suffered a serious injury in training on the Wednesday before Ireland. By all accounts, a bit innocuous, with no other player involved. He went on to undergo surgery to repair a tendon in his knee. Marcus Rashford was supposed to meet up with the squad late following an injury sustained whilst playing for Manchester United. Originally, he was just going to miss the Ireland game, but in the end, he pulled out full stop. And then Connor Cody, after being left on the bench for Ireland, was then sent home to isolate after he was found to have previously come into contact with someone who had a positive COVID-19 result. So Gareth Southgate called in Borussia Dortmund's Jude Bellingham, who was originally selected for the under-21s. Now he made his debut with just over 25 minutes left against Ireland. Now I'm in two minds about his selection. Sure, he is a very good player, But let's not forget, he's only 17. His experience of English football has only been championship level. And it was only 15 months ago, August 2019, he made his first team debut away to Portsmouth in the Carabao Cup. He's only played four times for the under-21s, only played five or six of Dortmund's 11 games this season since his move from Birmingham. This is meteoric rise sort of stuff. Trying to look at it from all sorts of angles. And there is, of course, the old adage of if you're good enough, you're old enough. But he's only 17. (laughs) We've qualified for the under-21 European Championships next year. Perhaps let him focus on being part of that. I'm just worried that too many games at such a young age, drafted into the full England senior side, especially in this match-crammed COVID era, I'm just not sure it's such a good thing. We've got the likes of James Madison, Harvey Barnes, who I think I'd I'd put ahead of him, but they're not getting a look in. And I don't believe he was eligible for any other nation, so I'm not convinced of the hurry to cap him. I know Michael Owen was young when he made his debut 
18 years, 59 days, and he only played once for the under-21s. Wayne Rooney, even younger, 17 years and 111 days, and he never played for the under-21s. But is Bellingham any better than Rooney and Owen were at that age? I'd be inclined to say no, not yet, although more than happy to be proved wrong. Uh, We can't forget as well Theo Walcott and Raheem Sterling. They were also 17 when they made their England debuts. And this, coupled with the comments made by FA chairman Greg Clark and his subsequent resignation, made the FA on the front and back pages and made November another busy month. Now, I got a little sidetracked and I started to look at previous England squads on the, the excellent England football online. As the squads, they always seem to have dropouts. And the last time a squad, uh, excluding tournament ones, was announced when no one dropped out before a game was played was back in September 2015. Roy Hodgson announced 22 players to go to San Marino uh, and then face Switzerland at Wembley in two 2016 European Championship qualifiers. We beat San Marino 6-0 and the Swiss 2-0. So everyone was picked, everyone trained and everyone went to San Marino for the game. Until Michael Carrick pulled out the day before the Switzerland game with a calf injury. As I say, just got a little sidetracked, but uh, interesting all the same. Now, you may remember there was the news on the Iceland game with the potential change of venue. That was all a bit of an anticlimax. You may remember what with Denmark having a strain of coronavirus related to mink, that the UK government had stopped everyone, bar British nationals, from entering from Denmark. Iceland, well, they'd be flying into England from Copenhagen after playing their Nations League game there. There was talk that Albania would host the game, then Germany were mentioned. Not that it really mattered to us as supporters, because we weren't going to be there. The FA appealed publicly to the government to allow Iceland to enter if they followed stricter protocols. Flying into an isolated airport terminal, given their own hotel, they were given additional testing. They were given the green light. Basically, it was a very temporary and extremely limited exemption by the government. And the game was on. Let's look back at that international window with EnglandFootball.org's Dom Smith. Right, so let's catch up with EnglandFootball.org's Dom Smith. Hello, Dom. Hi there, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, very good, thanks. Cool. Well, this is a first, a podcast looking at England not qualifying for a tournament. I don't think I've done that one yet. Well, that's a good thing, is it not? Yes, yeah, we've we've, we've done well up until till this point. I mean, to be fair, we, we're still doing well, really, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but yeah, that's that. I guess we'll get onto that very soon. Uh, but first and foremost, though, website all going all right and, and the writing? Yeah, all going, all going well, try, trying to keep up to, um, I mean, when England aren't playing, I'm trying to keep it to about um, an article a week. And yeah, that seems to be pretty successful. So yeah, I can't complain about it, really. Good, good stuff. Well, they're always great articles and I can thoroughly recommend them. Um, so yeah, this international window has has come and gone. It's our last of the year. Kind of 
sort of stretch your mind back a little bit let's start with Ireland wasn't probably the most important game well it wasn't the most important game out of the three that we played um but just just take us back to that one what did you think well I think I think this England team um are, are going to beat Ireland especially in Ireland that are playing their their weaker players I mean like we were but whatever you know, playing their weaker players because they've got competitive games to come. I think we're always going to beat Ireland, and we were probably, you know, high, highly likely to beat Ice, Iceland on Wednesday. And I think the performance—I I would link them both our performances in those two games. I think um, we weren't just the better team, which is what you'd hope and expect. But you know, I think from the first minute to the to the ninetieth, I think we were on it in both of those games. Not not sure everyone agrees with that. I mean, I'm not saying we were exhilarating, but. Um, I do think we were, you know, we were well in control of both of them and against Ireland in particular, it was nice to see sort of a more attacking central midfielder tried. I think it was Mount in the, in, in the, uh, in the middle, wasn't it? Um, with possibly Winks. Yeah, it was Winks, Winks and Mount, which is sort sort of more attacking than you'd see Gareth doing against bigger teams. But and on that, actually, I would like to see him risk that a bit more. I'd like to see him play you know maybe one slightly more attacking midfielder um in that midfield too if indeed he's going to carry on with 3-4-3 in the new year which i I think he will you know but yeah this is the thing i mean people have been saying that it is just a little too defensive minded and i think it's probably something that that we've touched on before i think i've certainly touched on it with with other contributors before i think we're, we're basically talking henderson and rice really aren't we well, at the moment, that looks like his preferred option. But but the, the problem is, um, although I don't think they're they're particularly similar players, um, I know I know a lot of pundits and, and writers think they are. I would say Henderson's more of an uh, an eight who's doing the attacking and the defending, and Rice certainly certainly a number four. You know, definitely a holding midfielder. But but they are still two players who prefer their defensive sort of breaking up play work than their sort of of constructive forward play and I, I just don't think you need them both even in a game against Belgium the world's best team or supposedly I don't think we needed them both I think I I understand you know why he's gone to back to three at the back and he's risked he's risked his reputation Gareth by doing this because you know we're always going to have that drop off in you know incredible attacking output which which got everyone so excited in 2019 talking about how we we're going to win the Euros and when we look back now we all looked a bit silly didn't we because we were playing against Montenegro and Kosovo and Bulgaria etc but you know I think he's risked his reputation um, among England fans by, by going you know by shoring up the defence I wouldn't necessarily have gone back to 3-4-3 um, because I think changing formation is quite a drastic move. I, I would keep it four-three-three, and, and I think there are still measures he could have done, which shored up the defence without changing the formation. And I think I'm going to bring out an article um, out about that ne- next week, probably. But yeah, certainly, to, you know, just just bringing in the Belgium game again, I think he could have been a bit braver and played one of those attacking midfielders in the middle. Maybe a Foden, a Grealish, probably more likely Mount is more accustomed to that number eight role. Just to give England a bit, you know, a bit of a midfield forward line link, because that is what that was what was so badly missing, especially in Copenhagen. You know, I think I think that night it was Sancho, Sterling, and Kane was the front three um, in September. We just the midfield could not find them, and, and that's such an issue. It would be an issue next summer, wouldn't it? Yes. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Um, I mean, yeah. So just just going back to that Ireland game, it was pretty much a sort of a similar one to the Wales one the month before where he used his 
sort of fringe players just to just to get a uh, a look at them, see how he feels with them. Um, there was the likes of who uh, was there? Dean Henderson made his debut. Saka was back and, and looking good. Dominic Calvert Lewin, uh, well, he scored as well, didn't he? Uh, Jude Bellingham. Go on, I think I've said my my piece on Jude Bellingham. What what are your thoughts on on Jude? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think what what you've said is is particularly unfair, really. I think I heard um, I heard a writer a few uh, weeks ago. I think it was probably in the October or September break. I can't remember which. I think it was Barney Rone at the Guardian saying that Gareth had um, out Garethed himself by playing so many young players well if he'd done it then I don't, I don't know what you know what this is with, with Bellingham coming in at 17 I, I understand why you'd play Bellingham in a game which doesn't matter as much um, against Ireland it's a friendly there's nothing riding on it but you know is that no, that might be Gareth out garrething himself again you know is is Bellingham got a realistic has he got a realistic chance of making the Euro squad I think even if he has an exceptional season at Dortmund with which I, I think were probably not an exceptional one. I... Well, we lost you there for a minute, but I think we're on the same page with Jude Bellingham there. Okay, so yeah, the the win over Ireland, all good. Put us in a a good frame of mind, ready to go to Louvain when we played Belgium, which was which is basically a must win game, wasn't it? We had to uh, we had to win this game if we were to even consider um, a place in the Nations League next year. Eight changes to the team. Mings, Mount and Grealish were the only ones that retained their starting positions. And, and you kind of think, well, OK, Gareth has got a... Uh, is, is maybe turning the corner on Jack Grealish if the fact he's, uh, he's playing him again? Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there were noises coming out of, of, of the camp that possibly he was going to start even if Sterling was was fit. It would have been him and, him and Sterling. And um, as it turned out, Sterling pulled out just before the game and it ended up being him and Mason Mount, wasn't it? But um, yeah, I'm pleased he played because you know everyone was going you know off on one about his wonderful performance against Belgium. It was very good. It, it wasn't wonderful, but but it was very good. Uh, on the game overall, I mean, you know, this is what it's like to be an England fan. You, you go through 40 years of, of people saying that in, in crucial games against big teams at World Cups and Euros, we need that midfielder to control the tempo because we always get dominated by possession. And then we go and play the best team in the world, have way more possession than them and still lose the game. Yeah. I mean, it was that second half, really, where we had the a lot of the possession. But I kind of thought, I was watching it again, well, maybe Belgium are quite happy with that. They, they were 2-0 up. Um, and, and I wanted to kind of um, mention the goals as well. People were saying that Pickford, as Pickford was at fault for the first goal, which I thought was a little harsh. And the there was the free kick. The foul was it De Bruyne, I think, got was supposedly fouled. Um, and I think there's there's no VAR in the Nations League, and, and this is probably one instance where we may have benefited from from having VAR there because I don't think it was necessarily a foul. But you can uh, you can't take away the quality of the free kick from Mertens there. Yeah, it was a brilliant free kick. I, I think if VAR would have been in play. I don't think it could have stopped it because it was a free kick rather than a penalty. So. Even if the goal goes in, the decision's already happened. So I don't, I don't think they could overturn it. But that's a, you know, that's a shame in itself because, you know, matches change on, on decisions like that, don't they? Yeah. But yeah, brilliant free kick. Yeah. And half-time, Winks came on for Henderson. And although we had so much possession in that second half, I think in hindsight, maybe someone like Sancho getting him on at, 
at half time may have been may have been better thinking just to to really push forward because although we had we had so much in that second half i don't think courtois really had to to touch the ball or do a great deal did he no i agree i mean um i think you could certainly have made a case for for mount coming off and uh Sancho coming on on that wing and then you've got the sort of skillful Grealish and then you've got the the um the slightly more more direct and and, and fast Sancho on the other side uh, and I think that could have caused problems um you know two two very very different wingers you know and and England's wingers always sw- switch sides yeah. every sort of 20 minutes half an hour at their leisure so um that could have caused problems but just on the wink substitution I, I think that was a, that, that was actually because of a Henderson injury so it, it wasn't ah. It wasn't as I thought um, at the time. Um, tactical, and and the thing with being, the thing with with England is you look on Twitter and and you can see the player warming up. I, he... I try not to look at Twitter really in the game. <laughs> no, well, you're probably right not to. I mean, he's literally he's warming up. Harry Winks. He's not even come on, and there's people talking about what a ridiculous substitution he is. Uh, you know, pe- people just don't know the half of it. You know, in this instance, he was injured. He wasn't being bought off, but it, you know. At the end of the game, it didn't make a difference. Second half, much better than the first. We dominated the game overall, but yeah, couldn't create that those clear cut opportunities to to get back into the game. Yeah, and that's that's where we need to be to have that finishing edge. And 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 Harry Kane, I guess, is is the one that generally can do it for us. But it's just not going right for him at the moment, is it? In an England shirt. Well, I mean, I I think he works best in a front three. Mm. I think. If you look at his goals in a front two at the World Cup, pretty much they were just penalties and goals from corners and one that flicked off his heel, which was a crazy, crazy goal. Um, so, yeah, he definitely works works um, better in a, in a front three. Clearly, on evidence, in a front three, in a 4-3-3 as well, which is not what we're doing at the moment. But, um, yeah, I, I think there's, there's been a bit of luck involved. I mean, he, he literally scored four minutes into the game in Reykjavik, didn't he? And, and he was wrongly adjudged to have been offside. So. Yeah. You know, sometimes these things happen. He was a whisker away a couple of times um, against uh, Iceland again on, on Wednesday. So sometimes it's more by luck than um, than anything else that, that a player can go on a run without scoring. His England record is phenomenal. I think he's got 32 goals in, what will it be, 51 caps. Yeah. It's a brilliant, brilliant record, that is. And OK, fine, he hasn't scored for six games, but... You know, it's been top opposition um, and we've been bedding in a new system. I don't think there's any cause for panic, really. Yeah, it's, it's nothing new, eh? a, a striker going on, eh? a, a goal drought, really. Wayne Rooney done it. Gary Lineker would have done it. Plenty of players have done it. And and once he gets that next one, as you say, if it comes off the back of his heel, if it comes off his backside, that's all, all he needs. Uh, one thing that, um, OK, it was frustrating to lose against Belgium, um, and obviously the the home loss to to Denmark as well. Uh, do you reckon having no crowds has had an effect on the way England have performed over this period, over these eight games this year? I don't, I don't know. I, I thought about this the, the other day, and I thought if I claim this, am I the person who's claiming? Well, it was re- it was raining. Of course, we played badly. Yeah, but it was raining for both teams. You know, I I, I don't think we can. I, you know, I'd love to be able to argue that, but I don't think we can argue that, that England have played worse because because there's no fans, because every team has. Every team's affected by that. It's not like Belgium, Iceland and Denmark don't have supporters and we suddenly do. You know, mm. team has supporters. Every team feels it. Yeah, m- maybe we are buoyed on by the England fans, but, you know, what team isn't? Very true. Very true. I was just wondering how long it would take maybe in in that 
the home game to to Denmark that the crowd may have I don't want to say turned but you just sometimes get that little edge in the air that that may have may, I mean guess going back to the Croatia game in in the Nations League two years ago when when we were pretty much going out we were going down and then the crowd really got behind the team it obviously takes a goal to really spur them on but then yeah we the crowd are g'd up and and then really get behind the team they get the winner and and everyone's happy but as you say i mean you you can blame it on on a lot of things can't you yeah you can the the only thing i would say about that is from memory i think that england croatia game two years ago was a 2 p.m kickoff and and as we know that kind of time versus an evening kickoff, you've got a very different group of people going to the game. So in a 2pm, you know, you've got your your younger England fans and your families, and they will naturally be more supportive. And then you've got your more ardent England fans um, would have been there um, at the 8pm um, England-Denmark game last, or 7.45, whatever, uh, last month. Uh, and that would have been maybe a bit more of a, of a sort of sinister ominous kind of feeling so so i think that kind of thing does play into it but yeah at the end of the day we, we, we went down to 10 men and, and after full time we went down to nine men so you just have to say this is a bad game for us and um, we've been ill-disciplined um and i think i thought we played okay against De- yeah. denmark last month but yeah not 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 well enough to win yeah no, fair enough i mean as i say at the at the top of the chat about not making it to a finals and i, I was thinking about this that this is a hard tournament, really, to get to. There are, what is it, four, eight, twelve, sixteen teams, mm. try or sixteen nations trying to make it to a final four. Um, we're not, we're not trying to finish second or or best third place in a in a Euro qualifying group. Oh, do you reckon I'd be right in saying that the Nations League is harder to get to than say a Euro, than the European Championships finals? Are we? Oh, should we not be too overly disappointed? I mean, we're always going to be disappointed that we're not at a finals, but it, it was tough to get there. Well, yeah, I mean, every team has been completely affected by COVID-19 mm. and um, a really congested period of games. You know, the, the the England team has changed from month to month quite drastically in these last few months. And every team has had that. I mean, last last month, Croatia had to send, no, sorry, the Czech Republic had to send all of their team home and call up a completely new team to play Scotland. Um, so, you know, these, th- you know, other teams have got it worse than us. Yeah. Is the Nations League harder than than the Euros? Well, well maybe. I mean, I, I don't know how... how how many teams seriously go into every game to try and win it rather than to learn for the likes of the Euros and the World Cup. But yeah, it's possible. I mean, people say, don't they, it's harder to win the the Premier League than the Champions League. I I would subscribe to that. The Champions League is, what, six group games and then all the way from the round of 16 to the final. That's surely easier than playing 38 games and coming out on top. So yeah, certainly the more games there are and the harder the opposition, yeah, you've got to say it's a harder tournament, surely. Yeah, I mean, because last last time out there was who was there? We had Portugal, Switzerland. We played Holland uh, and ourselves who were there. So, and this time we've got four new four new nations in there. France are through, Spain are through, Italy are there, and Spain. I guess we ought to mention who beat Germany six nil to get there. Um, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. squeeze that in, shoehorn that one in, um, and Belgium. So it's, it's four new nations in the uh, in the finals. Um, so I, I think it's. Uh, it's it's an interesting tournament. I think it has worked well, and and I think it's shown with four new faces in it for for next year. 
Yeah, certainly. Uh, I wish them the best of luck, um, but but the worst of luck at, at the same time because we we should be there. <laughs> yeah. But so well, that brings us on to the game against Iceland. Uh, three changes from that Belgium game: Harry Maguire, Phil Foden, and Bukayo Saka, um, who started over Tyrone Mings, Ben Chilwell, and Jordan Henderson. Um, how did you feel with that one? Were you? How did you feel going into that after the loss against Belgium? Well, I mean, it's it's just a dead rubber, isn't it? It's, it it's was. A, it's a game where you can learn about your team, and I'm pleased he didn't sort of cave. And I mean, he he was complimentary to the players after the game that he um, that they didn't just go home when when they'd lost and go back to their clubs, f- find a little niggling injury that, that that could spare them that game. You know, he, he said that they all wanted to stay, and barring Henderson and I think it was well, it, it was just Henderson, wasn't it? Who went home? But barring that. Um, you know, they all stayed on. He, he named a strong team. Uh, yeah, we, we played really well. We played um, the best football of the week. Um, I think all three of our performances were good. None of them were excellent. But th- this looked like the best to me. Nice that um, Mason Mount and Declan Rice, who have been friends since they were eight, could um, both score on the same night. And uh, Phil Foden definitely t- took his chance because you can't you can't imagine p- players like him... Uh, at the age he is, getting too many chances in the England forward line, considering how strong it is. So, yeah, you've, you've really got to take your chance, and, and he certainly did that. Because uh, he had a chance, an, opportun- an opportunity in the first half, I think, which, um, did he did he put it wide or, or something like that? And you think, oh, was that his chance gone? Um, he might get hauled off. Um, but he, he obviously he stuck it out. Um, and got his two goals in the in the second half. The the first one came after Sancho. I thought, well, b- before the goals came, Iceland went down to ten men, and and it it was going a little bit stale. I thought for England, nothing was really coming until maybe Sancho came on, which was which was a bit of surprise. And he was the one that provided to Foden to score on the turn, and then his his second goal was was great, and and probably topped off a a great night for him. Yeah, a great night for him and uh, fair play to um, to his manager for giving him his first 90 minutes in an England shirt because because those, you know, it did go a bit stale, I'll be honest. Um, the tempo wasn't kept the same. We were still in charge, but we weren't creating anything. And, and his two goals came in the 80th and the 84th minutes. So it's not it's not like he was, uh, he'd scored them and then he was allowed to stay on. It, it was the manager keeping faith in him that got that got those last two goals because you know you could easily see him being being pulled off on the seventieth minute or so. You know, well played, son. Another good performance, but no, he, he kept him on and he got his two goals. So brilliant, yeah. I think it's probably safe to say what what happened in Iceland has been put behind them now. Um, probably no reason to really touch on that anymore. Um, he had a he had a smile on his face. After the game, um, but uh, surprisingly, he didn't get man of the match, did he? No. <laughs> I mean, Jack, he, Jack Grealish got it, and and I think he, even he knows how that came about. I mean, he did a little interview with the um, England uh, social media channels afterwards, Grealish about that, saying, um, you know, good performance tonight. Really pleased with how how we did. Um, thanks as well for voting, for voting me for man of the match, but um, I don't know how you haven't given it to Phil Foden. But thanks anyway, <laughs> which sounded quite funny when um, yeah, it wasn't taken. You know, he was being genuinely serious, and he did have a little sort of smile on his face. But um, yeah, he did play you know really well again, um, Grealish. But yeah, d- definitely Foden for, for the two goals. Um, yeah, that's who it should have been. Uh, I think I think he knows it, doesn't he? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's there's the the issue between well, there's no issue between Grealish and Mount, but there is an issue with some supporters who who seem to feel that um, Mason Mount is playing more over Jack Grealish. So they're both quality players, and I think there was something that Ian Wright said. I think it may even have been it may even have been against before the Belgium game. Uh, and that may have been the Ireland game, so I think Ian Wright is ITV, isn't he? Um, yeah. Just saying that Mason Mount and Jack Grealish are totally different players, um, and there's no reason for them to to have any animosity between them. There's no reason for supporters to to be siding with one more than the other. But I thought it was interesting that Mason Mount actually participated in seven of the eight games this year, um, mm. 429 minutes, and he's got himself two goals, obviously with the Belgium winner, and and got one against Iceland. He has done well, hasn't he? Yeah, he has done well. And they are completely different players. They offer completely different things. I think that just came from the fact that, you know, Mount was played in, in the kind of positions um, a couple of international breaks ago that people really wanted to see um, Grealish played in. And then they just assumed that it must be an ultimatum between Grealish and uh, and Mount. But but no, it doesn't have to be like that. You know, as we're aware, England have had so many injuries this year that actually it's sort of superficial to, to think that that's the kind of decision dilemma that, that Gareth's got. It's not like that. It's just that they're two attacking players um, and one of them is is the man of the moment and the other one isn't. But but on Mason Mount, he, he, he's 21 years old. So, you know, if if you're a fan listening listening to this and, and you believe that Jack Grealish is, is better than Mason Mount and, and more deserving of an, an England team space, fair enough. But if you've said something horrible about him on social media, I can't I can't back you on that because he's you have to remember he's a young man. He's 21 years of age. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there we go. International football done for the year. And I know it's all been obviously very condensed and, and not what we wanted. What sort of positives would we take? from this going into next year and going into to the Euros and, and what do we need to change? Well, the, the brilliant thing is, um, paradoxically, that things have gone wrong and you can't learn from things when they go right. So, you know, G- Gareth has got four months to, to ponder and, and plot his way to European Championships victory now. And I'm not saying he's going to do that and I'm not saying it's even remotely likely that he'll do that. But at least he's got a basis from which he, c- he can look at these games and see what did work and what didn't work and which players in which positions worked. I think um, he's probably going to carry on with 3-4-3. I understand why. I wouldn't do it myself, but I get it. I just hope that he has the the bravery, I guess, to to when it comes to the time of the Euros, p- pick the players in the positions which suit the formation and those positions individually best, not the players who are the most seasoned internationals. So if, if the Euro started tomorrow, for example, when we we're playing 3-4-3, I would rather see Reese James started on the right uh, in the right back area or right wing back area than Trent Alexander-Arnold. And people will be saying that's absolutely ludicrous. But Alexander-Arnold, the, the honest... You know, the honest perspective is that he hasn't actually played that well for England yet because the system at Liverpool suits him so much better than the England system does. And, you know, that's what international football's about. It's finding that balance from the players you've got. You can't go out and buy anyone. We all know that. So, you know, against um, opposition like Iceland, someone like Saka is going to offer you more than someone like Ben Chilwell, whether he's much younger and much more inexperienced or not, you know. I'm glad you touched on Saka there because I I thought he's had an excellent international window over the past uh, over the past few weeks or past few couple of months as well. Um, so I mean, if you've given England out of ten, what would you say? 
over the for these eight games? Your your school report. Okay. Um I can't I can't give them any more than a six. Can I even give them the six? We got we got one point out of six against Denmark. I have to give them a five. Five. Must try harder? Uh no. They they tried as hard as they could. Every single England player that I've seen this year um, you know, fully committed to wearing the shirt. So I don't think it's effort. I think it or application. I think it's just getting the system right and make, and being clinical with chances because we, we, we do dominate possession and create chances when we've got to start taking them. So no, it's not it's not about effort. I think the England's effort this year has been spot on in the circumstances. Dom, great as always to speak to you. Wish you all the best. Keep going, keep coming up with those articles on englandfootball.org. Always enjoy them. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers. Now, the day after the England-Ireland game, the under-21s were in action. They faced Andorra at home at Molyneux in a Euro qualifier for next year's tournament. Now, the young Lions had already qualified for the competition in Hungary and Slovenia next year, so this was just a case of wrapping up business. And they did with a 3-1 win. And it came with goals from Liverpool's Curtis Jones, Watford's Ben Wilmot and Chelsea's Callum Hudson-Odoi from the penalty spot. Andorra, well, they were bottom of Group 3, they've scored 10 goals in 9 games, of which 4 have come against England, following the 3-3 draw in October. And they're the only points that England have dropped. The next game, like the Andorra one, was a formality. This was against Albania, and again at Wolves. A 5-0 rout. First half goals coming from Callum Hudson-Odoi, James Justin of Leicester and Jamal Musalia of Bayern Munich. They put the game beyond Albania before Arsenal's Eddie Enketiah grabbed a brace in the second half. Already the record under-21 goalscorer, he's now made it 16 goals in 14 appearances. But he did miss a penalty though, as he did against Turkey last month. So as I say, we're through to the European Championship Finals next year and they take place in Hungary and Slovenia. Now the group stages are being held in March and then the finals, the knockout stages, at the start of June. Uh, apparently, so they don't clash with the rescheduled Euros. So we'll, uh, we'll cover a little bit more about that in due course next year. Looking forward to that. Now the Lionesses. Well, they were due to face Norway on the 1st of December at Bramall Lane, Sheffield. Unfortunately, this has now been cancelled due to Norway not being able to travel because of Norwegian coronavirus travel restrictions. And this follows the cancellation of the game the girls were due to play away to Germany. That was also cancelled when one of the England staff received a positive result. Sadly, on the day England were away to Belgium, the news came through of the passing of Ray Clements, the former England goalkeeper. He was 72. I first remember him as a goalkeeper for Spurs in the 1987 FA Cup final, but his England days were well behind him then. Born in 1948 in Skegness, he was capped 61 times for England, making his debut 
back in a 1972 World Cup qualification match away to Wales, keeping a clean sheet in a 1-0 win. Now he was playing in a period of time where he was in constant battle with Peter Shilton to be England's number one. His last cap came in a 4-0 away win to Luxembourg in a European Championship qualifier. Alf Ramsey gave him his debut and he went on to play under Joe Mercer, Don Revy, Ron Greenwood and Bobby Robson. Now I mentioned Tottenham, but the club he spent his longest period of time at was Liverpool, where he played 470 times between 1967 and 1981, winning five league titles and three European Cups. And he was awarded the MBE for services to football in 1987. And he later returned to the England fold as goalkeeping coach when Glenn Hoddle appointed him in 1996. And he held this role until 2007, but returned again as goalkeeping coach under Roy Hodgson. Sadly, though, he had been suffering with advanced prostate cancer, but passed away peacefully. But one of his finest moments in an England jersey was leading the team out as captain in a friendly against Brazil at Wembley in 1981. Too fast for him. Socrates now for Brazil and straight at the New England captain is Socrates. Four goals in the last four internationals for Brazil. A qualified doctor, incidentally. Now let's see what the Brazilians can do with this free kick. It might be left foot by Adair. It is, and it's a save. And we send our condolences to his family and friends. Thank you as always for tuning in. Means a lot. Thank you also to Dom Smith. You can find him on Twitter at Mr. Dom Smith. And his website is englandfootball.org. Now, if you do happen to find yourself on a review page for either iTunes or Spotify, a review is always appreciated for the podcast. A positive one, even more so. And I hope you've enjoyed the recent episodes. There was the one where I spoke with John Driscoll from Sky Sports about his England connections and his new book, That's still available, as are all the previous ones. They can be found at 3lionspodcast.com or all the usual podcast platforms, Amazon Music, it's on YouTube. And, uh, well, actually, speaking of YouTube, uh, the guys at It's Coming Home TV were kind enough to invite me on there recently. And you can see that on YouTube. Just uh, search It's Coming Home TV. And I'm sure in due course, we'll chat with those guys on here. Now, I'll be back very soon. I've got a couple of episodes ready to go where I've spoken with fellow England supporters. So I'll put one of those out next, I think. But with the World Cup draw coming up on the 7th of December, we'll reflect on that when it happens. Plus, I've already got some ready to go for the new year, whilst England have no games. So I'm not going away anytime soon. But don't forget, you can follow the podcast on social media. Just search Three Lions Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. So until the next time, take care. We are halfway through this lockdown. Well, I have to be honest, it doesn't really feel like one out there. Uh, Hopefully, though, you are coping okay. 
Stay strong. Stick with it. We'll get there. Cheers. Thank you.